Well, welcome this weekend. Good to see you, Seacoast Fasting Church. Yeah, you guys look lean and loving and in tune with God. I like that. You know, people are fasting all kinds of different things. Some people are fasting food, some people are fasting media, some people are fasting a combination of, the bo- of, of both. One of our pastors, I won't mention his name, uh, his initials are Josh Surratt, is uh, along with the food fast, media fast, he calls it a modified media fast. It's modified so you can watch American Idol, Lost, and the playoffs, okay? <laughs> so if God wants to speak during any of those deals, I'm not listening, right? Okay, that's good. Hey, it's whatever, whatever it is with you. I hope you're enjoying your weekends so far. I know that I am. Uh, I, I just wanted to um, talk to you just a minute before I get started. I, I want to welcome those of you from an off-site campus. Uh, we're glad that you guys are along uh, this weekend also, or maybe on a podcast or uh, in one of the venues here at Long Point. Um, the Haiti thing. I mean, we've all seen it. It just ripped our hearts out. And... Um, just to kind of tell you what we're doing, I sent out a, a note. Uh, I hope you got it. If you didn't get a note from me, um, on the back of your bulletin, just kind of fill out the information there. Give, or at least give, give us a uh, an email address, and, and that way you'll get the notes. But uh, I, um, well, here's what we did. Because uh, it just happened that you guys were so faithful over the Christmas season, and we did the Hope Epidemic, uh, we had money on hand to help out, and we'll continue to. So uh, when the um, uh, earthquake uh, happened, we immediately uh, issued a check to Water Missions International, who we're going to work very much with through this. They, they need a lot of things there, but one of the major needs is clean water, obviously. And we were able to write them a check for $25,000 for um, a water system. And they're actually, here in the Long Point campus, we've got a water system out in the foyer that has a Haitian flag on it today. Well, they're taking that one out on Monday and shipping that one off, and uh, which is really a cool deal. And uh, God is just blessing them. There's been a partnership. and There's over a dozen. I, I think a dozen is a real low number right now. Uh, Jerry will probably tell me later. But at least a dozen systems have been uh, donated now and are either on their way or going to be on their way <clears throat> to Haiti. And so we want to tell you about that. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing more. Um, and if the need was bigger for systems right now there, we, we'd give another one. But we're going to give one to start with. Uh, we, we can't really send a trip over there right now. I mean, it's, you know, it, in, in and out's hard and, you know, there, there are uh, um, experts needed in what they do. But we're going to shift our mission's focus, obviously, over the next year, more tilted toward Haiti. And so we'll have trips, we'll have various things going on, uh, and we'll let you know about those as soon as we've got people on the ground there that are giving us feedback of, of what we need to do. One interesting thing is I, I heard or I read a report from a Haitian pastor that said um, there is a real move of God right now during this time, that uh, people are coming to Christ uh, all over the place. And I, I know as I was watching on some of the news stations, they were showing... Uh, people singing and worshiping and, and praying, and various stations showed that. And this pastor said that is happening in every village, in every church. People are coming to Christ, and they're worshiping and singing and praising the Lord. And so God is there in the midst of it. And I know there's a lot of questions about how something like this could happen, and I'm not going to take time tonight to 
address that or this weekend to address it. But um, um, just just be praying. You know, as a part of your fast, maybe make that a part of your regular prayers is to pray for the people in Haiti that, uh, you know, that God will will restore. I was reading this week in my um, um, kind of quiet time uh, in the book of Job. I don't know why I picked the book of Job at the beginning of the year. Actually, it was an accident. What happened was I started reading from the beginning. I was going to read all the way through the Bible, and I decided to do it chronologically. And who knew that Job shows up even before Abraham does? And so I've been in the book of Job for the last, you know, couple of weeks. Uh, whoopee. And uh, it's a great book. It's just not real inspiring for the first of the year. But God speaks tremendously through it. And one of the things that He spoke to me is that God is able to restore and multiply that which has been taken. If you want to read the book of Job, some of those disasters happened to him, and God restored and multiplied in the end. And I, and I would like for you to pray that for Haiti, if you would, uh, this week uh, in your small groups and also in, in your own time. And uh, so that's, that's our deal. We're giving. If you want to give, you can give to the church here, uh, uh, Mark Hope Epidemic on it, uh, or you can give directly to Water Mission, Samaritan Purse. There's several places that are doing some excellent, excellent work, and I think we've got some things up on the website that will help you with that. All right, let's, uh, let's fire up and get going. I forgot my prop that I was going to use here. Here's what I'm going to do. It's in, it's, it's, it's in the bullpen. We'll have it in our next service, I'll guarantee you. You guys are visual. That's the reason I didn't have it here. But what I had was, do you have it? Oh, we have it right here. Look at this. <laughs> How about that? Even after I said bad things about him, he gave it to me. Hey, do, <clears throat> do you guys know what one of these are? Yeah, I, that's one of the things it is. Garage door opener. Get a, get a close-up on that. Can you see it? Okay, got it. That is also an antisocial networking device. You get it? You know, what we do is, is we, we come home from work, and we're just tired of talking to anybody. And so we, you know, we pull into our gated community <laughs> sometimes, and we pull into our driveway, and we open the, the door to our cave, you know, and we don't even have to get out of the car anymore. We just push one of these deals, zzz, up it goes, pull the car in. What a dream. Wouldn't it be a dream for some of you to pull a car in a garage? I mean, I'd like to be able to do that. I haven't seen the back of the garage in a long time, you know. But, but th- theoretically, we pull the car into the cave, and we close it down, and then we're, we're by ourselves. We're isolated. And then we get on Facebook and, you know, look at all of our 900 friends. How many of you know that they're not really friends, most of them? But, you know, you know them anyway. It's their acquaintances for whatever reason. And then we watch a television show about relationships. You know, we get all sappy about that whole deal and, you know, and, and uh, Grey's Anatomy or whatever it happens to be. And, 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 and yet, here's the deal, is that we are probably, honestly, truly deep down, uh, less connected right now. In fact, I'm going to show you some studies that I think prove that than probably any other time in our history because our society works against relational uh, connections. Um, recent study in the American uh, Sociology Review said this, Americans have one-third fewer close friendships than two decades ago. One-third fewer close friends than two decades ago. And the number of people who have none has more than doubled, a sign that we may be living lonelier lives. They go on to say that there may be actually an epidemic of loneliness that's going on underneath the surface. You don't know your neighbors. 
Oftentimes you don't know the people you work with. And when you go to church, especially if you go to a church, you know, that's uh, more than about 30 or 40 people, you oftentimes don't know the people that you go to church with. And, um, and, and you wonder sometimes, would anybody miss me if I was gone, you know? Does anybody really care? Would anybody? No. And here's the truth. You were not created to live that way. That's not how God wired you up. That's not how you are created. In fact, one of the reasons that you aren't dead yet, we're in a series called You Aren't Dead Yet. Last week we learned that uh, one of the reasons is because God wants to do significant things through you. And if you're breathing, there's still significance that God wants to do through you. But one of the reasons that you aren't dead yet has a relational component. God has plans, very definite plans, for your relationships. Um, the Apostle Paul, we're, we're familiar with. We were studying the book of Acts. We're going to go back to the book of Acts after this series is over. But Paul's an interesting character. You know, he, he was very zealous, opposed to God. He had a, an encounter with Jesus. He becomes very zealous in his, in his pursuit of God. And that zealousness uh, puts him uh, in, in a position where he has several uh, close brushes, near, near uh, 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 brushes with death. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he says very specifically why he's not dead yet. He understands relationally why he's not dead yet. Philippians 1 and verse 21 says this, and if you've got an outline sheet, you can read along or on the screen, or maybe you've got a Bible or uh, you've got a, a PDA or, or whatever you're following along on. Philippians 1 verse 21 says this, For to me, living is for Christ, and dying is even better. Yet if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. And I really don't know what's better. Man, that's an incredible relationship with God, isn't it? I mean, this is not the writings of a, a suicidal guy, okay? This is not a guy that's depressed, discouraged, and he wants to take his own life, and he, and he says, it would be better if I would be dead. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, he's got such an intense relationship with God that he knows that beyond death, there's eternal life, and that life there's better than life here, and, man, that would be great. It's where he'd love to be. But life is good here because he has things to do. He says, verse 23, he says, I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live and sometimes I want to go and be with Christ. That would be far better for me. But it is better for you that I live. I am convinced of this, so I will continue with you so that you will grow and experience the joy of your faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He said, you know what? I'd love to go and be with the Lord. But, but, but there's a better thing right now. And the reason I'm not dead yet, because there were plenty of people that were willing to help him with that dead deal. Okay? But he fought for life. And he said, the reason I'm fighting for life right now is because God's got something he wants me to do significant in you. God wants, to, wants to, to love you through me. And he understands that. It's kind of Paul's, if it weren't for you guys, I could go uh, be with Jesus verse. I'm not dead yet because there's something that God wants. And, and one of the reasons that you are not dead yet 
is because God wants to do something significant in someone else's life through you. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, I want to tell you something about you. Here's what I knew. Last week I told you three things that I knew about everybody in this room or in uh, uh, campus, wherever you happen to be. I want to tell you today, here's three things that I know about you relationally. And here they are. Number one, you were created for community. You were created for community. God wired you up from the very beginning for community. We see it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. God made Adam, and then he says... It is not good for the man to be alone. And so he created a helpmeet for him, Eve. You biologically are wired up for community. In fact, survey after survey of the workplace or, you know, just of life in general uh, uh, concludes that the, uh, the, the determining factors for experiencing significant life People over and over and over again list things like connection to friends, family, love. Those things are, are even bigger than health. You know, what, what, what would it take for you to have a great life? Health is down here. And connection to friends, family, loving family, having loving relationships, those are always at the top. Why? Because we are wired up, hardwired for community and for relationship. I think that's why 321 million people have joined Facebook. You know, it's a kind of a connecting, kind of a connecting thing. Community was a huge concept in the New Testament and for the church. In fact, I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I want us to read it out loud. Can we read it out loud together? Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. I want you to circle two words in there, devoted and fellowship. Now, there's a lot of other words that are in there. But one of the things that they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. Fellowship. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, which literally means they were as committed to one another as they were to Christ. They were as devoted to one another and to their relationships, koinonia, as they were to Christ. They were devoted to fellowship. There was a deep spiritual connection. That's more than just hanging out together. That's more than, you know, partying together. That's more than just, you know, being on a social network together. It's it's a deep spiritual soul-to-soul connection. And that's what God desires for everybody in here and everybody at the campuses or on the Internet, wherever you happen to, uh, to be listening. Because very few people in life ever experience that. We experience various kinds of connections. You may have had a, an emotional connection with somebody. I mean, they just, you know, you, they, you just connect emotionally and it just seems to be, you know, an easy friendship. You may have had a sexual connection. You may have an intellectual connection, somebody that really stimulates you intellectually. But you haven't had a soul to soul connection unless, first of all, you know Jesus and have that relationship going on there. And then you really, really connect with another believer, with the fellowship of believers. And that's in the New Testament. That's one of the things that drove them. They were devoted to this fellowship. They were devoted to relationships with one another. 
Why is it essential to connect with each other? There's lots of reasons. There's even health components. There's even, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're discovering health benefits from relational connections. Let me give you a couple of studies. Ten year, uh, there was a 10-year Australian study of older people, and they found that those with large circles of friends were 22% less likely to die during the study itself. If they had a lot of friends, large circle of friends, they were 22% less likely to die. A 2007 study uh, said uh, there, there is an increase of nearly 60% in the risk of obesity among people whose friends gained weight. So if your friends like to eat, watch out, okay? Watch out, because they're going to be cooking good stuff for you, and y'all going to get heavy together, okay? That's why we're fasting right now, okay? It's not really the reason we're fasting. We're trying to hear God, right? Okay, but that's a side benefit. Um, in 2006, there was a study of 3,000 nurses with breast cancer. They found that women without close friends were four times as likely to die from the disease as were women with 10 or more friends. That's the impact of relationship health-wise. Men, a similar deal. There was a study of Swedish men that found that only smoking was a greater risk factor for heart attack than a lack of social support. Only smoking was a greater risk than having friends, and the, that, that factored in. That's why Dr. Ed Hollowell, in his book Connect, says, we are a nation of doers. We hurry from place to place, filling our lives with all kinds of activities, sometimes overscheduling our kids and ourselves. Does that sound like anybody you know? But what really sustains us emotionally, uh, psychologically, and physically is connectedness. The feeling that we are a part of something that matters, something larger than ourselves that gives life meaning. Just as there is a vitamin deficiency, there is a human contact deficiency, and it weakens the body, the mind, and the spirit. Its ravages can be severe, depression, physical illness, early death, or they can be mild, underachievement, fatigue, and loneliness. Just as we need vitamin C each day, we also need a dose of human contact every day with other people. See, we all know that we need food. We all know that we need, you know, uh, uh, vitamins and minerals and air and sunshine. But most of us don't realize the major impact that happens in our lives when there is a deficiency of this connectedness. In fact, I kind of, I usually set one or two overarching goals that I think are very, very important for our church every year. And the overarching goal this year is communication and connectedness. And you're going to hear about it and hear about it and hear about it. And we've got one of the, one of the coolest tools that we're going to roll out in just a, a few weeks uh, for you that will help us to be more and more connected because we are wired up for connectedness. That's what the church is for. It's not a place to attend. It's a group to be connected to. And this weekend, there will be between 11 and 12,000 people who will come to a Seacoast campus. But you know what? Uh, less than half of that 11 or 12,000 people will be even moderately connected in groups. And a very, very small fraction will be experiencing the connectedness and the community that God wired us up for. You aren't dead yet. Because God wants you to be connected and He wants to flow through you and love someone else in a connected way 
Uh, and that's one of the reasons that you're still alive. You're created for it. Second thing I know about you is you are supported by community. You're created for it and you're supported by it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's speaking to Seacoast here. He says, Seacoast, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus is the cornerstone of your church. In him, all the parts of the building fit together and grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Through him also are being built in the Spirit together with others into a place where God lives. Through him, you are being built into a place where God literally lives. We are being built. We're in the process of building. I don't know why it is, but when, when one of my kids, and all my kids are adults now, you've heard about grandkids and all that. Whenever one of them moves into a new place, um, and, or they just need to do a little remodeling, yours truly gets the job of wiring up ceiling fans. I don't know if that's written right here, or, you know, that he needs more frustration in his life. I don't know what it is. I'm not particularly good with tools, you know. I'm, but I always end up with the ceiling fan job, okay. And um, three or four years ago, uh, one of our kids were putting a new ceiling fan, and we had the whole family over, you know. And we, we just do things in community, even dumb things we do in, in community. So the whole family's over here, you know. And, and most of them are just kind of watching while I'm, you know, i got one assistant and we're put together. And this is like a four-hour ceiling fan. So it's a significant ceiling fan. And, uh, and here's the deal. At, at one point, I'm standing up on, on top of the ladder and I'm looking at all of these parts of the ceiling fan on the ground that weren't up there. And I'm just hoping that they all fit together before we turn on the power source. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, it was such a dramatic moment. In fact, just before I turned the light on, maybe it was just after. I don't think anybody wanted to talk to me before we... I, I said, okay, well, let, let's see. It turned it on. And when that thing came on, I had a religious experience. You know, it was like... <laughs> Oh, you know, it, it, it actually worked because so many times it hasn't worked. How many of you have a testimony on that? Okay. And my, uh, one of my son's, my, my son's mother-in-law said to me, you know, I was so proud of you. I didn't even hear a single swear word, you know, proud of her pastor because he didn't swear when he was putting up. And that's because she wasn't in the room all the time. But, uh, but <laughs> that, that is a parable of many of you. You're in the Seacoast family. You're in the box, okay? You're in the box, but you're not, you're not a part. You're, not, you're, you're really not connected. You're a, you're a spectator. You're not a participator. <laughs> That's a hard word. <laughs> Spirit of George W. came over me just then. We'll edit that out of the tape. All right, settle down. One of my goals is to preach shorter in the new year, so you guys are just ruining that. So, so some of you aren't connected. You're not a participator, okay? And you go, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Come on. 
I mean, in this building here and some of our buildings, there's hundreds of people. And what difference does it make that I'm connected or not connected? I can't get connected in a large church. I want to tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Put horns on it, okay? Every time you think that, put horns on it because it's not true. Let me tell you, either you believe the Word of God or you don't. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says about you. It says, we who believe, Ephesians 2.21, in the NIV, is in the middle of that segment there, are being, are carefully joined together. Say carefully with me. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Who joins us together? God does. You may think that you choose a church, and to some degree you do, but you know what? God places you. And if God has placed you here at Seacoast, He didn't do it lackadaisically. There's another one. I'm having trouble with these large syllable words. We're going to cut it back to two, all right? God carefully places you into a local church. Carefully. Because you're important. What you have to give. One of the reasons you're not dead yet is because God has placed you here. And He wants to connect you to relationships that matter, that can make a difference to you, and that you can make a difference to someone else. Why are we carefully joined together? For support, for this season of your life. I believe Acts 17 says that God knows the days and the years and the places that we would be born. That's not even an accident. And I believe that you are here in this time and age, of all the times and ages down through the centuries, for a specific purpose. You need the support, and you need to support some people who are around you in the body of Christ. Who's going to hold you up during the tough times? When you're getting beat up in the business world, what if we don't get a major recovery this year? What if we just kind of have to cruise through again? I'm not believing for that. I'm praying against that. I'm praying for recovery. I'm praying for wisdom for our leaders that they'll make the right choices. But what if? Who's going to support you? Who's going to be there when your marriage and family are being strained to the limit? When you're facing, you know, personal overwhelming crisis, you need people who will be there for you. And God, in His sovereignty, has placed people around you for such a season. And He placed you in this church so that you could benefit from them and they could benefit from you. But if you don't get connected, then the power's off or you're, you're still in the box and the fan's not going to work right. You were created for community. You're supported by community. And the third thing I know about you is that you learn how to love in community. You learn how to love in community. Jesus and His disciples are an example for this. I, I, I love you know reading about them. Twelve guys, a group of twelve guys from radically diverse backgrounds. I mean, you know, some of them had absolutely nothing in common. You take a Peter and you take a Matthew, nothing in common. You look at several of their backgrounds, totally diverse. And that was Jesus' small group, just like any other small group. If you've ever been in a small group, there are all kinds of different people in a small group. Some people are really easy. And there were some guys in Jesus' small group that were really easy. He talks about John, the disciple that he loved. 
There was an easy, natural connection. There was an emotional connection. It was easy. John was low maintenance. When John came to the small group, Jesus was happy to see his camel or whatever he came in on. You know, it was just a good thing. It was, and when John wasn't there, he just felt something that wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't right. Some were knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. I mean, he would teach on servanthood and teach on servanthood. You know, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the least. If you're going to be a leader, you want to be a servant. You know, you've got to pick up your towel and serve. Yeah, yeah, we're getting it, we're getting it, we're getting it, we're getting it. And then, and then everybody else would leave the small group for the night and they would say, we just have one more question. What's that? Well, when you get to where you're going, could we be like in the top two chairs? Like, you know, we... We want to be right there, right next to you, one on the right. One on the, we want to be real close because we really like you and we feel like we deserve it, you know. Knuckleheads. And so Jesus goes back and he teaches them again and again and again and again. And there are some people in small groups, in, in your groups, that are kind of kind of like that. Some were what uh, some people who study group life call EGRs, extra grace required. I mean, they're in the group. And they're just in the group. God placed them in the group. And they just take a lot of extra grace. Do you know anybody like that? If you really can't think of anybody like that, it might be you. Okay? <laughs> and so these guys lived in community for three years. And at the end of three years, they loved each other desperately. And their love for each other was so obvious that, um, that it was the one defining factor for people to really believe that Jesus was who He said He was. And then Jesus gathers them together just before His crucifixion and He prays His last prayer for them. How do you know there's great significance in a last prayer? What's the last word you said to your child when they went to college? What's the last word that you said to your friend before they got married, you know? What's the, the last words are so important. And Jesus' last words to His disciples, His last prayer is John 17. And he says this. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also all who ever will believe in Me because of their testimony. Who's that? It's us. And earlier in this prayer, He says, I'm not praying necessarily for people outside. I'm praying for those who are part of the team. Because that's, that's the focus in this last moment. He said, I'm praying for those who are in this room and those who will believe because of you. And that's us. So he's praying for us. He says, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe that you sent me. He prays that they, we, would experience something amazing. Something that Jesus had experienced with the Godhead, with the Trinity from the beginning of time. That, that, that there was this true, deep, connected relationship. If you study the relationship of the Godhead throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know that they enjoyed one another. They encouraged one another. They supported one another. They loved one another. They deferred to one another. Jesus talks about that regularly. I do the will of my Father. Okay? They deferred to one another. And they, they glorified one another. That sounds like awesome relationships. 
And that's what Jesus is praying that God would do, that we would experience oneness, oneness like Jesus had with the Godhead. Life-giving relationships. Because life-giving relationships just breathe life into our soul. That's why John Ortberg said, this is why the experience of authentic community is so life-giving. We are taking our place in fellowship with life Himself. And when I am in isolation, I am lonely. When I am in community, I experience what might be called fullness of heart. The human heart is forever empty if it is closed in upon itself. In community, the divine community especially, a heart comes alive. And Jesus' prayer for them and for us is that we would experience life-giving relationships with one another. John 13 and verse 34, he says it like this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Can you see how high the stakes are? That we're to, we're to, uh, to come into community together, that we're to love one another so that the world will know that He is God. The world will know that we are our, His disciples. Here's what the world thinks. The world thinks that the church is equally as hypocritical as the workplace or anywhere else. Those in the world, your friends, your family members who maybe are looking skeptical at you or maybe have not crossed a line of faith, and they're looking and they can point out all kinds of situations where, man, this preacher blew it. Or you know what? I know people from this church, and boy, they say awful things about one another. Now, I, you know, I, I, I don't need that. I mean, I can get that just normally. And Jesus is saying, the stakes are so high, gang. you got to love each other so that the world will know. In fact, Francis Schaeffer says it like this, our, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. I don't know if you know this or not. Seacoast Church, you know what the legal name of Seacoast Church is? 21 years ago when we named this church, we named it Seacoast Christian Community because there was a value of community and that doesn't go away just because thousands of people come. In fact, it's to be more and more intense. Now, real quickly, how do you experience that type of community? Here's what I know. You can't do it alone. Say, well, I'll just experience God by myself. I've been hurt by church. I don't trust big things. I don't trust the church. I don't trust anything called mega, you know. I'll just, I'll just have a relationship with God. I'll do it by myself. I'll, I, I, I experience God best in nature, and I'll do that. Uh, I'll listen to podcasts. I'll get what I need on TV. I'm just kind of going to do my own thing. And here's what I think about that. I believe that you can see God in nature. In fact, I'm wired up. We're all wired up to see God in different ways. I see God best in nature. When I'm in nature, I experience the fullness of God. I really do. You can see God in nature. You can learn about God through podcasts. There are some great ones out there and on TV. But you can't experience the type of community that Jesus is praying for you through those things. You just can't. It can only be done in the context of a group of people. 
And then you have to be intentional. Just because you have a group doesn't mean that you're going to have community. Anybody experience that? Don't raise your hand or point or anything. Have you ever been in a group? That it's called a small group, a life group, whatever it happens to be. And it's a group meeting together, but there's just real shallow community. Just because you're in a group doesn't mean that you'll experience community. How do you experience community? The best way I've heard authentic community explained is, is just using the ABCs. Let me just go through them. A means accountability. There has to be accountability. That means that in your group, whether it's two people or three, and it, to me it's easier to have three than it is to have two. Jesus said, where any two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. You can have a group with two. I think it's easier with three, up to about eight or nine, twelves maximum. Beyond that, you kind of lose some of the dynamics of small. Okay, But you, you in a group, you have accountability. That means inviting people into our lives to challenge us in our priority and in our relationships. See? Have you done that? I, I teach pastors a lot these days. And I, I say over and over and over again, I think every pastor, especially the larger your church gets, you need to be in a small group, in a group that loves you but is not all that impressed with you. Okay? Because... Because in your arena, you, people may be impressed with you. You need people that love you, but they're not all that impressed with you. If you don't invite accountability, let me tell you, this is what I know, two things. And, and take this to the bank. Number one, you will not make good decisions. You will not make good decisions. Our decisions get clouded by all kinds of things. And if you've not invited people to challenge your relationships and challenge your priorities and your decisions, you'll, you'll make bad decisions uh, relationally, dating, uh, thinking about marrying, the way you treat your husband or wife, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your parents. I was talking to a pastor the other day. He was, he was asking me uh, because he was having this situation and he explained how a very intelligent person that loves God was making a horrible decision relationally. He said, what do you do? And I, and I thought, you know what? That's somebody that does not have accountability. And what's going to happen is they're headed for a ditch somewhere. You need people in your life that can speak into your life. They can say things to you. They love you, and, but yet they challenge your, your thinking. And here's the second thing I know, is not only will you not make good decisions, but whatever you're hiding will become known. Whatever you are hiding will become known. Uh, in, the, um, in the recovery groups, they call it, you're only as sick as your secrets. And the, the beauty of Christian community is that you can have authentic community and you can invite people into your life to help you to wholeness and, and wellness. Second uh, uh, thing about authentic community is, is be belonging, belonging. You feel accepted, connected, and comfortable with a group of people. Uh, you need to be a part of a group of people that will miss you when you're gone. Your campus pastor in a setting like this, they may not know whether you're there or not, but if you're connected to a small group of people, then, then, then they know when you're gone. And sometimes we're gone for, you know, for reasons that we need really people to come into our lives. C is care. Care. If you're in a group where you're accountable and you belong and you're connecting, care will be a byproduct. You don't have to program it. It just happens uh, when people are connecting. People care for people that they know well. And we see it around here all the time. Seldom am I the first 
one to see someone in crisis if, if they're in a group experiencing community. Seldom am I the first one. I've walked into situations in this church. I mean, the, the most tragic things. I, I, I've walked into situations where people have lost small babies. Small babies have gone to be with the Lord. And if they're connected in a group, I'm never the first one there. Now, I don't care how fast I get there. I'm never the first one there because there is a sense of connectedness. And all I do is I just come in and kind of give a pastoral word. And I know that because of the connectedness that, that you know, it's going to be tough, but they're going to get through it. They're going to get through it. The, the hardest times, let me tell you when it's hard, is when I am the first responder when there is no community, when they're a part of this church, but there has not been an identified community. And I walk in and we do the very best we can to kind of cobble together relationships and networks and community. But, you know, it's, it's a 50-50 shot, I suppose. And, uh, and, I, and I hate that. It's not just the hard times. God wants you to experience the joy of community every day. So, I'm done. You're not dead yet. Because God wants to do something significant through you. And because God wants to love someone through you in the context of Christian community. And just maybe, just maybe as a result of you loving somebody else, maybe even through a difficult time, your neighbor, your friend, somebody outside of the circle of faith is going to see it and they're going to go, you know what, they're real. And God is God. And it will alter their eternal destiny because they'll come to be a part of God's family forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this group of people. And God, I pray that you would draw us with a hunger for community, God. With a hunger for what what Jesus prayed for us. And so in these few moments, um, as we respond to you, I pray that there would be a spirit of authenticity that would come over us that we would be able to really respond with true hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.